Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, qué golazo. Magnífico. Gol. ¡Qué golazo de Bellerín! ¡Gol del Arsenal! ¡Gran gol de Bellerín 1-0! This is Arscast Extra. Hello there and welcome to another Arscast Extra as always with James from Gunnerblog. Good morning, James. Good morning. Well, it's last a somber week, occasion, isn't it? Last week we said it doesn't get much better than this. <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, that was um that was prophetic. Yes, hubristic of us really. Look at us now. We look like fools. Bet last week everyone was thinking those guys have got the greatest job in the world. They get to sit on a podcast, chat about all the wonderful things in life and football. Mm. And now we have to sit here. We're, we're not basking, are we? We're what, are, what? What's the inverse? What are we doing? Um, I don't know what the inverse of basking is. We're wallowing, I think, might be the might be the, the word. We might uh, be wallowing. Mm, it, it wasn't very good in any sense. No, I, I'm going to go as far as to say that it was actively quite bad. Yeah. Um, was it more bad, more badder, worser? A bit like my Badderer. English, badderer. Uh, because of the the preseason, because of the expectations, because of because we had sort of hoped that this team had finally managed to to put an end to its what's the word I'm looking for its mental frailties to a certain extent that you know we we won the FA Cup we've got a settled squad is confident we're co- we're cohesive. With all the cohesion. Where, what happened to all the cohesion? One minute you've got all the cohesion. Next minute there's no cohesion whatsoever. Did we use up all our cohesion in preseason? I mean, the questions uh, that we get to in the second half uh, of the podcast are obviously something we, we, we'll come to. But there's a lot of them just going, why? What, ha- <laughs> what happened? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a valid question. And not an easy one to answer. No. I, th- I think it is it is worse because of the level of expectation. Um, you know, I know in your blog this morning you touched on the Aston Villa game. What was it, two years ago now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I do think, obviously, there are parallels in that we started the season with a, a defeat at home, uh, some, some pretty diabolical defending. Uh, but obviously, at that time, you know, that was a team that I think everybody knew was flawed. Everybody knew wasn't ready mm. whereas this year we felt going into this game I think everybody felt that we were in a stronger position last year we were building on what we had and that we were if not ready but certainly close yeah. to launching a, a serious title challenge and I feel like yesterday really damaged our or Saturday no yesterday really damaged our credibility in that respect and yeah it's like somebody's burst our balloon isn't it mm. and they've not they've not only burst it they've sort of taken it out the back and fired a load of shotguns at it. Which well, that would be a bit pointless because once a balloon is burst, there's not much else you can do to destroy it. I know, but this is a very vindictive person who's done this. It's Slavin Bilic. What a bastard. I know, he doesn't care about no. the balloon. Yeah. Um, the point I was going to make that I've just mm. forgotten, that I'm now going to talk for a minute just so I can try and remember if sure. I can, and I can't, as it happens. I'm trying to think <laughs> of it. And I really can't. There was a point. What were you just saying? Uh, not not the bit about balloons. Oh, expectations and balloons. And no, I'm completely blank. I think it's kind of sapped the very life out of me. Ah, yes, I remember now. The fact that people thought we were ready. The fact that we'd gone through preseason with uh, good wins, lots of clean mm-hmm. sheets. We'd just come off the back of a win against Chelsea, uh, and that expectation was there. Do you think? 
perhaps that there might have been a, a measure of just turn up and win that we've kind of seen before. You know, you, you've got to think that if they, they played in the same way against West Ham as they did against Chelsea, that you don't lose. Maybe. Maybe I don't, I don't want on... to say arrogance, you know, but, but just this um, over, overconfidence, perhaps? Complacency, maybe? Yeah, Arsene Wenger said the team was nervous. I don't buy that for a second. I don't think the team was nervous. I think that's just sort of something that he says in a, in a post-game press conference when he's asked, what, you know, what happened to your team? It's very difficult for a manager to say, well, we just played like shit. You know, you've got to try and find the underlying reason why you played like shit. But I think that's what it boils down to more than anything, is we just played like shit. I don't think we were nervous or, or, or anything like that. So, yeah, it's it's difficult to understand. It's really difficult to understand. I mean, I think a lot of it is down to... I was about to say a lot of it's down to defensive errors, but I, to be honest, I don't think we were very good going forward at all either. I really felt like we were as bad on the front foot as we were on the back foot. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously... People will talk about the the goalkeeper. Um, they will, and we will now, presently. Yeah, indeed, they will, and we will simultaneously. I mean, that's in some ways a sort of microcosmic example of what yesterday felt like. You know, the the player who was supposedly uh, the great solution, who was going to bring this sense of calm and experience to the back four, mm. was probably the one perhaps most culpable uh, in the two goals we conceded. Oh, so, yeah, twelve to fifteen points he'll save us apparently this season. Well, he's, he's on minus three at the moment. Yeah, what a fucking hat-trick in the next game if he wants to, to make up for it. I mean, look, at, you know, as, as welcome as, as the signing was, and I think you can uh, you can be, be happy that he signed, I never quite got the... I never quite got how he was the difference between us winning the title and not winning the title when our issues last season were very much not about the goalkeeper. There was maybe once or twice... I think over the course of the, the the Premier League season, where the goalkeeper was unconvincing, and you could look at a game where perhaps the goalkeeper cost us points. In mm. general, while the goalkeeping situation wasn't as uh, as assured as you might like it, it wasn't why we didn't challenge for the title, right? So I never quite understood that about the the signing of Czech. Brings great experience, been there, done that, worn the t-shirt. Um, is the t-shirt a bit raggedy and faded? Maybe, maybe I don't know. I mean, what did you make of the the first goal yesterday, the free kick, the set piece? I thought the defending was abysmal. The organisation mm-hmm. was really bad. I think we could see that. You know, when you look at replays, players aren't making it difficult for the West Ham players. You know, the I think it was Monreal who was on Kuyate. Uh wasn't goal side. I know you're trying to step up maybe and, and, and look for the offside thing, but, you know, when the ball starts to come in, you've got to at least get in his way and make it difficult for him to get to get a header. As it was, he just ran unopposed into the box. There was far yeah. too much space in front between the goalkeeper and um, uh, and, the, and the, the defensive line. And West Ham, I think Arsene Wenger said it, he said, if the quality of the ball going in there was good, I knew we could be in trouble. And that's that's very much what happened. It was a great uh, it was a great ball in from uh, what, what who was it? Payet? How do you pronounce yeah, his I name? Think so Dimitri Payet. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, and so look, we made a mistake, compounded by a goalkeeping error because I think he obviously wanted to to try and be decisive on his home debut. Come out and you know if he comes out and he punches that away, it sort of gives you a bit of a lift of momentum. You're going, yes, goalkeeper, you're, you're you're fantastic. But the two things together, a goalkeeping mistake and defensive uh, uh, misorganization, uh, unorganization, deorgan. What, what's the word? I, you know, um, uh, fuck up, fuck yeah, up. Fuck them. Um, you know, it just looked it looked bad for everyone. So obviously, it looks worse for Petr Cech. But I think it was it was a combination of things. I mean, with it, with a situation like that, what I always wonder is, well, if Czech doesn't come, Kiyate's still got that free header, mm. you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not assured that if he just stays on his line, he could have headed the ball left or right of him. Exactly. You know, so... And, and you are talking split-second stuff, but... It, it looked bad. It looked. It certainly looked bad because he ended up in kind of no-man's land. Mm. But I do think, in that instance, we're at, the defence are as culpable for... 
allowing that header to be completely free. I think what was the, the, the most worrying thing for me was that it, what a typically Arsenal goalkeeping mistake that was. Do, do, was. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think I said on Twitter if you if he pulled off his hat and revealed it was Manuel Almunia in there, you wouldn't have been too surprised. You know, or Fabianski, or uh, you know, uh, Chesney's had a couple of moments like that where mm-hmm. he's come and, and misjudged, and you know, I know you can't really put everything down yesterday on the goalkeeper or what might be going on behind the scenes um, on the training ground, but you know. That that instant familiarity with a goalkeeping mistake perhaps suggests that there's work to do between the goalkeeping and and the defending. So do you think do you think the goalkeeping staff are doing <clears throat> drills on that, just charging out into no man's land, <laughs> telling them <laughs> uh, on on a dangerous set piece, the ideal thing to do is place yourself in a useless position between the goal line and the penalty spot. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know either. But I, I thought um, no, I thought it was interesting. Matt Spiro was talking on Twitter about Christoph Lolichon, uh, you know, and this was Czech's first game without him uh, for a long time. And 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 perhaps one of the roles of the he suggested one of the roles of the goalkeeping coach isn't just sort of day to day training and what what you do on the training ground, but it's part of getting the goalkeeper mentally ready for the game. Perhaps so, and also perhaps a degree of specific preparation you know like uh talking about west ham set pieces things yeah. like that how they might play it so perhaps he missed that element of preparation too. yeah yeah and yeah. Um, what about the what about the second goal have you any fault could be applied to him for the second goal <laughs> again it looks bad i have to say um i because came in for a bit of stick didn't he for sort of allowing the shot to be to get away relatively free yeah, I think Koscielny was standing there holding his balls. Um, yeah. Kazorla stood off. Uh, Coquelin kind of stood off a little bit as well. Oxlade-Chamberlain, of course, was the man who made the initial mistake, and we'll come back to that in a moment. But, you know, the keeper takes a step one way, and a guy puts the ball in at the, the near post. You know, I, I've, I felt he was let down a bit more there for that one. I don't think he could put as much of that goal down to a check as, as the first one. Maybe. I mean, I think he was wrong-footed, as you say, and, and a bit disguised. But, you know, I think back to my reaction to David Espina against Monaco when that ball deflected from 30 yards and I felt he ought to have done better to readjust his position. I think I would have to say the same of Czech here. I think if your concern about the goalkeeper was, you know, his age or something like that, you might have felt a little bit troubled by how slow he was getting down to the... To, to the ground there. But, mm. I mean, it's I, I'm not by any means suggesting that well, he's not a good goalkeeper, he's not a good signing, but it was undoubtedly a bit of a disastrous debut. Yeah, it really was. One to forget, but maybe, maybe he could be like one of those uh, albums that you listen to the first time and you go, well, that's not very good. And then the second time you go, mm, it's not bad. And then, you know, it's a grower, it, you know, and it lasts longer. It's not like an instant catchy pop song that after three listens you're going, well, that's that's terrible. No, we sure. don't want that. You know, so maybe his... His season will, well, hopefully it will improve. It would want to. Um, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, though, guilty of a mistake when the ball, uh, Coquelin sort of slid in and took the ball um, off off Oxlade-Chamberlain's feet, practically, but he took it out of defence. And it's not the first time we've seen him lose the ball in that position on the pitch. That's something he's really going to have to be aware of and work on, no? Yeah, and it's a shame because I felt in the first half he was probably our brightest player. Uh, there were a couple of excellent runs, that brilliant volley which dipped just wide, and I thought you know he was on a really good track, but that was quite naive what he did. There. I think he did a similar thing earlier mm. in the game, so I do think he's probably he's probably having having missed so much of last season with injury, probably desperate to make an impression, and might be a little bit guilty of overcomplicating it. Uh, a bit of simplicity in his game and conservative choices in that part of the pitch would would certainly help him out. What? did you make of the decision to use Alexis? Desperate times, desperate measures and all that, but I have to say it was a bit of a farce. Uh, yeah, he didn't look ready, did he? No. Why would he be, though? Because he's a superhero? <laughs> well, we know that superhero and strong and he's done his training on the beach, but, you know, it, it was... I don't know. Is that a reflection of maybe that that perhaps there is room for one more attacker in our squad? I know Danny Welbeck is out injured, but 
you know, the the bench yesterday was three defenders, mm. um, Mikel Arteta, Theo Walcott, and Alexis Sanchez. There used to be a time, and and we we maybe had this last season where we were we were top heavy. You know, we had too many attackers in the squad, and that was a that was you know we were imbalanced. But perhaps it's gone a little bit too far the other way. Yeah, I think there's definitely a case for that. I remember looking at the substitutes bench when it came out uh, yesterday and thinking, oh, it's an awful lot of defenders. I can't really foresee a circumstance where we'll need all those players. Mm. Um, little did I know that we should have had a lot more defenders on the field in the end, uh, given the way that we played. But I think um, Alexis, I mean, it, it, what's strange about that is that Arsene Wenger is always so keen to avoid reliance on one individual. He always preaches about a collective game, but... I felt the way that Alexis was drafted in so absurdly quickly, having returned to training, uh, suggests that he does feel a, a slight dependency on him, don't you think? Yeah, but maybe he just didn't have any other attacking option. I mean, what was his what was his alternative yesterday to Alexis? And I think, frankly, you know, he shouldn't have been on the bench. I think if you're going to talk about how players need rest and they need you know to come back from their holidays uh, and they then need to be eased into you know fitness and preseason properly i i just don't think you can then put a player like alexis on the bench but what were his alternatives like using iwobi or the jeff the jeff maybe. would would the criticism not be just as much if you if you're relying on a 17 year old or or an 18 year old perhaps so i think that um maybe it's like, it shows the slight folly of letting Chuba Akpom go out on loan so early in the transfer window. I mm. thought that they'd certainly wait until uh, Danny Welbeck and Alexis were available again before letting him move on. And I did think that we were a little bit light on attacking options on the bench yesterday. So that was a, that was a little bit frustrating. I mean, it, you know, Theo Walcott came on after half an hour, but I think it was, was it 2-0 by that point? Yeah, Walcott came on. They were about to bring Walcott on uh, just before they got the second goal. Yeah, so I felt like at that point, West Ham were able to sit deep and defend a, a two-goal lead, and that's not really Theo's game, is it? To no. break down a, a packed defence like that. No, no. He didn't have much of an impact at all, to be honest. No. Um, what did you make of the performance, of, speaking of attacking options, of Olivier Giroud? Well, look, I think he struggled like everybody else struggled. Um yeah. You know, I don't, I don't think he was particularly bad, and I don't think the reason we lost was down to... Uh, Giroud not being the world-class striker that everyone wants. Clearly, the issues were at, were at the other end. I mean, I thought it was, I thought it was odd to see him out on the left quite as often as he was. There was one moment where he took a, a brilliant touch with his left foot and then got taken out of it by by Tompkins. But a couple mm. of times he was the guy down the left-hand side trying to get a cross in. There was one he put in for. Well, there was nobody there, and Adrian fumbled it and had somebody actually been in there. I think. Erzul uh, arrived a little bit later. Um, you know, we we might have scored, but why is your central striker the guy putting in crosses? You know, the the team didn't look balanced at all yesterday, in terms of the way it was set up. And I know the manager likes a fluidity and he, and he likes his players to to be able to interchange positions and move around the pitch, and that's good. But um, you know, I don't think we did. Uh, enough to get the best out of Giroud and I don't think he played particularly well but I don't think he was uh, any worse than anyone else uh, certainly there were some some worse individual performances than his Francis Coquelin I thought for example had a had had one of those games that he was always due no I think Coquelin has been overdue a difficult game or a bad performance yeah. you know he's been so consistently good uh, I don't think it immediately says that Coquelin is, is rubbish or anything like that. But I do wonder, yesterday, given the opposition uh, and given the way he'd set up the team with with uh, Cazorla and Ramsey and Oxlade-Chamberlain on the right-hand side, I do wonder if in certain games Coquelin is not the guy and if he might have been better with, with Arteta in there, somebody who's a bit more controlled, who can who can move the ball around a bit better. That's an interesting idea. I mean, I think Cockland, I thought, think, did have a difficult game. I think that you're right that that was probably in the post for some time. He's been in such exceptional form that at some point that's going to desert him for 90 minutes. Mm. But um, Arteta, hmm, what do I think? Well, I suppose the reason we missed Arteta in the middle, and we might touch on this in the questions, is maybe because we missed Santi Gazzola in there too. He's stationed out on the left flank, so we didn't really have somebody who with that 
patience on the ball and that creative input. Um, so I think I think that may have been a factor. What did you make of? Uh, what did you make of? I don't know. What did you make of starting Giroud over Walcott? Do you think that was the right call? Do you think that made any would have made any impact at all to have it the other way around? Um, I don't know. Actually, I was a little bit surprised, but I think maybe he looked at two physical centre halves and and thought Giroud might be the might be the better option. I mean, we don't know what went on in training or what he saw uh, out of training that that might have convinced him one way or the other. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I mean, I Giroud would. Uh... Help us on defensive set pieces. <laughs> yeah, well, he did make a couple of good clearances actually, Giroud from from corners, um, yeah. which I remember from the live blog. But you know, again, I'm not sure Theo Walcott up front would have made a huge difference to what happened yesterday. I'm not sure no, anyone else up front would have made a, a huge difference to to what happened yesterday, given the failings were 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 at the back. You know, so it was quite it was kind of interesting to see that the. the the clamour for for new signings, and I understand it completely. How people say, "Well, look, we've got to do more. We've got to get another attacker." Um, but but really, our, our problems were were at the back. And I'll take a new striker. I'm not saying that uh, I don't want one or anything like that. But it was it was defensively and organisationally that we lost the game yesterday, and that that's a worry because you know, as Arsene Wenger pointed out, these are experienced guys at the back there, so. Yeah, I mean, how do, it's so difficult to explain the kind of defensive resilience and that we saw in the Community Shield versus what we saw against West Ham. But I mean, do you think do you think this is like a one-off? Are you, are you sort of, if I had to ask you going forward, you know, we've got a game next weekend. Do you think that we'll see more of those jitters, or do you think that this was just a, a freak occasion? Um, I mean, I. I think, I'm asking you to predict the future. I appreciate that's not necessarily easy yeah, to answer. I think probably my gut feeling is that this was just one of those days. But at the same time, I'm aware that we tend to have just one of those days a bit too often for it to be just one of those days. Does that make any sense? Do you know? I mean, it's, yeah. it's it, the, the failings are familiar. The way that we let in the goals, the way that we... I won't necessarily say shit the bed, but, you know, all of a sudden there's expectation and everyone's in a good mood and we manage to, we contrive to just fuck it up because that's kind of what we do, you know? Um, I obviously was a lot more confident before yesterday's game than I am now because I do wonder what way this is going to affect the team as well because they seemed confident and they seemed, you know, really up for this season. They seemed to be in a good place. Um, and all of a sudden, hang on, you're at home and you can't produce a performance against the team like West Ham with a with a 16-year-old mm. in the centre of midfield. Now, fair play to him. He was, he was really good and really composed and he doesn't look like a 16-year-old. But at the same time, it's very disappointing, isn't it, when you're playing against a team like West Ham at home You've got Ramsey, you've got Ozil, you've got Cazorla uh, 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 in midfield, Oxlade-Chamberlain, that these guys can't control a game against Mark Noble and a 16-year-old. That, for me, is is a worry. That is a worry, a big worry, and I agree with you. I was impressed by, uh, is it Reese Oxford? I think that's his mm-hmm. name. I think, great name for a start. Yeah. But uh, I thought he played really well, but... It is a concern because the, when you look at the eleven we had out, it's not like last year where you can say, "Oh, you know, they're, they're not ready for the World Cup," or there's the big players missing. Mm. I felt like this was a team that ought to have been able to make a statement yesterday, and that's what it would have been, especially with Chelsea having dropped points the day before. It felt like there was an opportunity for us to, you know, make a little bit of ground. I mean, every point counts. How many games do champions lose? Not too many. Yeah, know? yeah. Uh, and you can't. We started so poorly last year. I think that's what really compounds everybody's frustration is that we started so poorly last year, and the focus has been all summer. Players and managers saying it's all about making a good start and retaining that consistency across mm. the season. And it's very easy for that to slip away. You know, if we if we let's say we go next weekend and we draw rather than win, effectively that's what five points that yeah you've, that you've let go and it's 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 very quick how how those kind of gaps can develop yeah yeah 
bit of a worry, all right. And Palace is not an easy place to go, as we know from last season. And um, by no means, no. You know, so yeah, all a bit worrying. Um, we'll have to see if they if they can respond. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's kind of knocked the sails out of a lot of people, hasn't it? The the performance, the result, obviously, but the performance, I think, more than anything. Mm. Um, mm. has, has really kind of taken the wind out of out of people's sails, which is a huge disappointment, a really feeble, meek way of starting a new season, particularly when, as you say, all the focus has been on make sure we get off to a good start. Let's not make the same mistakes as last season. And boom, there we go. Pop goes the balloon. Mm. Yeah. And then it gets shot lots. Poor balloon. Right, I think what we'll do... Uh, is we'll take a, a short little snippet of music and then we're going to come back with some of your questions in part two right after this. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. Hello. Hi. <laughs> it hasn't got cheerier in that in that brief break. No. Not really. This is the uh, this is the part of the show where we answer your questions sent to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog. Do you want to go first, or will I? Or does it matter? No, does it matter, Andrew? No. Um, I'll go first, shall I? Okay. Let's have this. It's Magnus Holmberg, and he says, "I think I know the answer to this." But he says, "Would a guy like Benzema have made a difference yesterday?" I guess he has his bad days too, right? I guess so. Um... Yeah, I mean, you know, for for example, the game against Monaco. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. When Giroud missed a lot of chances, like all the chances. All the chances. All the chances. Maybe you could say on a day like that, that if you'd had somebody not even not necessarily better than Giroud, that was, I think, just a bad day for Giroud as well. But, you know, is is Benzema the guy who can do, for example, what Thierry Henry did? Can he get a goal in a game when we're struggling, the team isn't playing particularly well? Is he good enough? to create something on his own or out of nothing. I don't I don't know him well enough or I haven't watched him well enough to to know whether or not he's that player. What do you think? I don't know either and it's difficult to tell when a player's at Real Madrid, right? When mm. they've got you know in such a strong team with so many brilliant players around them to feed off. You can't really gauge that. Mm. You know, I think if if someone's a standout player in an average side and dragging them to victory single-handedly, and that's a very different thing. But Benzema is a beneficiary of his environment mm. as, as well as a great talent. I think that Magnus is kind of right in that I'm not sure that dropping a £50 million striker into the team yesterday necessarily would have made a difference. Yeah, uh, That's not to say we shouldn't do it. Um, not to say I wouldn't, I wouldn't like it. And not to say it wouldn't improve your chances. But I don't think he's someone who could do what Thierry Henry did against you know, Liverpool on that occasion, dri- yeah. dribble from the halfway line, and yeah. genuinely change a game single-handedly through a moment of athleticism or or skill. Um, so, no, I'm not sure Not sure how much difference he would have made. I mean, did you see Arsene Wenger's comments after the game? It didn't sound as if he was particularly uh, open or, or keen to do any, any more business. I think what he... <sighs> The, what I got from the co- the comments was that he didn't want to suggest that the reason we lost yesterday was down to lack of transfer activity. And I, sure. I think that with the players that we've got and with the squad that we've got, I think that's a fair point. You know, you could obscure the issue then because if you go, well, look, the reason we defended poorly was because we didn't buy a £50 million striker. You know, it's very difficult to make that case, isn't it? 
Um, but like you say, there's no reason not to to get that striker if we can find him and if we can do it. And I think I think you know if we can find him and if we do want to do it. Um, but again, it really doesn't depend entirely on us, you know. If Real Madrid don't want to sell, or if Real Madrid can't find the, you know, we know all this. So, I think it's, um, I think it's going to play out right to the end of the transfer window, and then even then, nothing might happen. Yeah, I think that's the most likely outcome. But I think the fact that you know we talked about that Aston Villa game. They, that was, you know, met with chance of you don't know what you're doing and spend some fucking money and all that kind of thing. Mm. And we didn't really hear that yesterday, you know, because I think everyone recognises that this is a squad that's capable of competing. That brings with it its own frustrations when it when it doesn't, when, yeah. when it fails. But I don't think that... I think Arsenal's right in that respect, in that I don't think yesterday was a failure of our transfer policy, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I think the... the Maybe I'm wrong. I'm sure there were people who were furious, but the, the, after Aston Villa, it was pure fury. Sure. Uh, and this, after yesterday, seems just deflation and more more than anything else, you know? I think that's a, a good distinction, yeah. Mm. All right, here's a question from Liam Quigley, at Liam J. Quigley, uh, and he wants to know, Ramsey and Coquelin or Cazorla and Coquelin or Cazorla and Coquelin in the middle and why? Cazorla was playing great there, not as good out wide. Um, is that going to become an either-or situation? I don't know. I mean, I touched on this in the first half. I did wonder... I did. I don't think Ramsey had a great game. I mean, who did, I suppose, is the response to that. You know, which very few individuals came out with too much credit on the Arsenal side. <clears throat> it looked as if Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain might be going that way and then he made that defensive error. Um I do. I did. I did miss Cazorla in the middle. I have to say, but he moved in there at half time. Yeah, he switched in field, and it didn't change much in that respect. Did no. It? Um, I mean, maybe that was a mission of a mistake in terms of his initial lineup. I don't know. Would you consider that? What do you, What would be your preferred? I know that it's it's a movable feast. It's a variable thing. But would you have gone with Cazorla in the middle yesterday? It's difficult to know. Um... I mean, he's trying to move away from that during preseason. Definitely, you know, he wants Ramsey in the middle. I think that's obvious. Um, it's it's how we then accommodate the others. You know, has Coquelin become so integral to the team that he's got to play regardless? As I mentioned, you know, we could have played Arteta yesterday uh, ahead of Coquelin, or maybe you could play a Ramsey Cazorla. I don't know if you can do that. It's it's difficult because it's you know. There's no real obvious answer other than what worked very well last season was Coquelin and Cazorla, but it always felt like it was a bit short-term, you know? Like it wasn't the long-term plan. And I think the long-term plan is obviously to to get Aaron Ramsey in there. Um, You might wonder whether maybe Ozil could sit a game out from time to time. I don't know. I don't know. I, it's it's a uh, it's really difficult to know what what our best midfield is because um, yeah, I, I I don't know. It's uh, yeah. I, d- I don't know either, but I feel like in Arsenal's mind, at any rate, Coquelin is uh, fairly integral, fairly set in that defensive midfield role, mm. and Özil's fairly set as the number ten. I do feel like it's that kind of little spot in between them that's the one that's up for grabs. Um, and I don't, and Ramsey didn't do a great forty-five minute audition, you know. I, I didn't uh, as Cockland's partner, but so yeah. I mean, it's easy to have hindsight after the event, I suppose. That's the uh, only time you can have hindsight, in fairness. Yeah, I've tried it before, and it's really difficult, yeah. honestly. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I don't know with that one. It's it's one that I feel like it's quite a big question to be answered in this team, uh, and it's a little bit of a. Not shadow, but it's something that does need to be sorted over the next couple of months. My, my only point on it would be that Coquelin and Cazorla worked brilliantly in the second half of last season. And there's a little part of me going, well, if it ain't broke, yeah, maybe don't try and fix it. Mm. So it's up to Ramsey to to perform in such a way to, to dislodge so. them? Or would you go back to that for I think Palace? So, yeah. I'd be tempted, very tempted to, yeah. And I'd probably, I'd probably push Ramsey out wide because... I know he's not comfortable there, but I think 
I think he can do a job there. And I think, it, you know, it's until, because until there's a reason to break that up, say injury or well, hopefully not touch wood, but what have you, or form of another player, mm. I'd probably stick with a, a formula that was very successful in the second half of last season. Mm. Okay. Um, another question? Yeah. So this is from, uh, oh, how do you pronounce that? It's from Charibadis 1966. Okay. I gave it a go. Uh, there's lots of umlauts in there. He says, should Giroud have been allowed to continue given he was motionless for almost a minute after the clash of heads? That is a really good question. And I know Arsenal put out a tweet saying that Giroud was not unconscious at any point. Mm. That's what they said. So I, I, I guess we have to take them at their word, but it looked to yeah. me like he was knocked out. The way that he fell, the way that his arms hung when he was being moved onto his side by by teammates who obviously were standing looking at him, standing over him, and and thought that he was unconscious. It was a bad sign when he wasn't doing the finger flick. Yes, you know what I mean? exactly. Exactly. So I, I'm not 100% convinced that he wasn't knocked out. Maybe he said he wasn't because he wanted to continue. And again, I guess the, the medical staff have to take him at his word, but he, he looked to me like he was spark out. And I think football obviously has a, an issue with head injuries. Uh, it doesn't tend to treat them very seriously. Mm. Uh, you know, players who, who who clash heads, who are knocked out, who are concussed perhaps, are allowed to, to play on. And we know um, more and more how dangerous that can be. Thankfully, there hasn't been anything um, too serious happen, but, you know, given how often footballers smack heads, uh, there should be a bit more focus on it. And I know that the the Arsenal doctor did um, did some some courses and some some teaching about that. You know, these new rules that that come into play. So I don't know. Look, if if he said he wasn't knocked out, and the medical staff said he wasn't knocked out, um, there's not much more we can say about it. Uh, but I do think perhaps if we had had another striker on the bench that you you could have chosen to use him rather than a guy who, even if you're not knocked out and you get a good smack in the head, it, it hurts and you're sort of discombobulated and you're, you're not 100% afterwards, particularly yeah, when you're trying to chase a game. A bit of grogginess would be yeah. understandable, certainly. Yeah. Um, I, I thought... Look, we have to take the doctors at their word, don't we? I mean, we're not doctors. We don't know what we're talking about. If they say he wasn't unconscious, then he I guess he wasn't unconscious. But it was certainly um, an alarming scene. And I was i was actually surprised that he continued, even given the yeah. the lack of options. I, I felt that, yeah, there's definitely an element of risk in that. And I think it's important that football obviously does start to take this matter more seriously. Other sports are way ahead in that respect. Um yeah, so, you know, I mean, but it's, again, without being there, you know, there are people making assessments live on the field. You have to hope that they're making the right call in in that instant. Mm, yeah, you'd like to think that the player's welfare is more important than any goals that we might need from a game. Basically, yeah, that they're making a decision based on medical mm. reasons rather than footballing ones. Yeah, but again, the track record of, of uh, football in general... Uh, wouldn't yeah, leave you. Wouldn't leave not. you too confident. But look, yeah. Again, without all the information and without conclusive evidence, one way or the other, we have to, we have to uh, assume that he wasn't knocked out. But you know, I'm not sure. I believe it. Mm. Mm. All too. right. Here's a question from uh, Zanzi Bar and Grill at Zanzi Bar Grills. Could okay. be a free meal on this one for us. Nice. Yeah. Oh, it's it's in Lagos though, so that could be. Yeah, but a free meal. Think about it. Yeah. Well, we could go. Worth it in the end. Anyway, he says, what do you make of the slightly more forgiving stance fans have taken with Petr Cech, even though he was partly at fault? Because, you know, let's face it, had it been Chesney, had it been Ospina, knives would be well and truly out. Oh, they certainly would be. Yeah, no, I I would have taken Ospina apart, I imagine, for a similarist. And Chesney too. I mean, Chesney would have taken an awful lot of stick. It's partly just a good grace thing that new signings are given. I think all new signings go through that. You know, when they're adapting to the team, there's a an element of, I don't know, they've got good grace, haven't they? Because there's a desire for them to do well. Mm. Uh, 
Um, with Czech particularly, you know, it's been hailed as such a big signing for us that I think people will understandably want that to come good and they will be loath to to come down on a player who's moved from a rival club for a, a big fee and who's seen as the solution. Uh, yeah. I think that I think that seeing him as the solution is probably a bit of an issue. I think, as you touched on earlier, I don't think one player ever is, and I'm not sure that... I, th- I do think while he's an upgrade, I don't think necessarily he'll be the difference. Um, but I think that it is one game. It is one game, and that's kind of true of the whole thing. I mean, it, as awful as it was, mm. it is one game. It's a long season ahead. Hopefully, we have a campaign that means that we sort of look back at this and, and if not laugh, then certainly smile ruefully, um, because there's a long way to go. And I and I think that Czech, I mean, I, I don't remember him ever making having a game like that for Chelsea. Do you? No, no, not really. Not I mean, really. That's worrying, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he arrives at Arsenal oh. in one match. He's mm. tra- a player transformed. Oh my goodness! But, yeah, um, li- literally, you know. Probably the worst he's ever played. Mm. Yeah, that is a slight concern. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I do think that you know one of the benefits of his experience is that he should he should know what it takes mm. to recover from that, unless he needs you know a bit of goalkeeper whispering from Loshilan or Lolichan or whichever it is. Yeah. Um, without his mentor there, will he be all right to uh, mm. to recover? But you'd think so. A guy of thirty four years of age or you know, should be able to uh, get his head right. In terms of the sympathy, I do think that... I do think that probably everybody was a bit harsh on both goalkeepers to an extent last year. I know I was certainly accused of being harsh on Spina at times, and I think I I felt that Chesney was unduly criticised for some of his performances. Um, And I suppose the lesson there is just about fan perception. Mm. You know, we see, to an extent, what we want to see, right? Yeah, true, true. All right, let's have another question. Another question. What should we have? Okay. Uh, I thought this was quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, from Steve Moore, at Steve Moore 4116 he says, how much was our attacking play yesterday stunted by fielding our two most defensive fullbacks? I think we missed Bellerin, that's for sure. I thought so, definitely. Yeah. Um, and I think Debushi look like a guy who hasn't played a lot of football, you know. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't a surprise. Well, it, it kind of was a surprise that, that he was taken off because uh, we didn't have a, we didn't put on a defender. I think we stuck Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain somewhere in the right-back region um, yeah. to take him off and obviously have a have a go uh, at um, winning the game or getting back into the game. But yeah, maybe it was a little bit, but I think it, it had less to do with the fullbacks and a lot more to do with the midfield, in my opinion. You know, I I, I think um, in games like this, Mesut Ozil should be pulling the strings for Arsenal. You know, he's got the quality, the experience, the fitness, the preseason, everything. And I thought I thought he had quite a a, a good few moments. There was one dribble I thought that he was going to score from, or if not score get a penalty, you know? Um, But, yeah, I don't think it had a a lot to do with the fullbacks. I think it had more to do with with midfield for me. Okay. I think that's fair. I I do do think that we missed, you know, this is a a secondary question. Hang on, sorry. Where is it now? Mm. Uh, Basically, somebody asked, uh, who was it? Yes, Sam Hill. So it was one of the problems yesterday that the Ox was the only player offering pace in the starting eleven, And I did feel that, you know, without Bellerin as well, we did lack a little bit of kind of penetration, I guess, in the wide Sure, areas. but I mean, I think you can look for that in, in, in other ways. It doesn't necessarily have to be pace, does it? Because you could look at somebody, for example, like Jack Wilshire or Thomas Rosicki, um, True. who can who can get between the lines in midfield. And we didn't, our, our midfielders seem content to sort of just be there and there wasn't any drive there was nobody running at the the uh 
the West Ham defence or the midfield to try and create space, to try and make openings. So I don't think it was just down to pace. I think it's to do with having players who can create from midfield in a different way. And perhaps there's an element of sameness, even if they're they're different players, uh, Cazorla, Ramsey, Ozil, they don't give you that per se. You know, they look for the passes or, or Ramsey can make a run uh, and get on the end of a pass, but nobody gives you that, that uh, burst in midfield that maybe Wilshire or, or Rosicki do. So I think we, maybe we miss them more than it being a problem with the fullbacks. Yeah. All right. Here's a question. And uh, again, a sort of a two-parter. First part is uh, from Ian Sandwell, at Ian underscore Sandwell. And he wants to know, is there a reason we haven't had a genuinely convincing opening league game since Everton away in 2009-2010? I think we won 6-0 that Mm -hmm. day. Danielson Mm -hmm. scoring a a great goal. So you know everything went well for us that day. Yeah, magic. But interestingly... Interestingly, and I don't know if it ties in at all, Orbino, our pal, he uh, posted something yesterday. Arsenal's opening day result after a long-haul overseas tour. 1-1, drawn 2, lost 2. The previous 10 seasons, when we went on that little training camp to Austria, played a few games, had a game against Boreham Wood, or Barnet, one of those. Mm-hmm. 1-8, drawn 2, lost 0. He says probably nothing to it, but what do you think? Wow, that's very interesting, isn't it? Um, I do seem to recall that we used to start seasons on fire at times. I seem to remember us like hammering Middlesbrough on the opening day once upon a time. and 4-0 or something, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I seem to remember a few games like that where we would really come out of the box blocks flying. Um, less so these days. Maybe it's because... So one theory is that Arsenal maybe has changed the way he, he conditions his players. Maybe he's got more of an eye on having had all these injury problems in the past. Mm. Fitness over a season, and that means that they're slightly less sharp right at the commencement. Maybe the, the foreign tours are a factor. I don't know. I is don't it know just coincidence? Being, it could be. I mean, I don't know how much being on a plane makes you worse at positioning a defensive set piece, you know? Sure. Sure, but Arsene Wenger was always opposed to them. And we know that in recent seasons, in recent years, the commercial interests and obviously, you know, uh, the the upside of it is is going out there and it's great for the fans um, and it's great for the team to, 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 to meet these fans, experience these places. But maybe the downside that Arsene Wenger feared of, of long-haul travel, I mean, look, we were in Singapore in July you know, mm. so I, I don't know. Maybe it's just coincidence, but um, yeah, you're right. I mean, we, we, we don't tend to come out of the, the blocks the way we used to. I mean, even last season, the opening day win against Crystal Palace, was it an injury time Aaron Ramsey yeah. scored? It you was, know? yeah. Poked home on, on the line, didn't he? Mm. And that was not a great performance either. Um, I seem to remember the main positive out of that was Callum Chambers at centre-half, who, mm. who had a very assured game. But uh, yeah, a bit of, bit of a concern. And, and you know, it's... Again, I hate to repeat myself, but again, the real frustration is that that was the issue 12 months ago that we started so poorly. Mm. And and all the focus has been on putting that right, but so far, not not so great. <laughs> all right, one more from you? Yeah, let's have a look, see what I've got. Um, Do you know what? I've had quite a lot of the questions that you've asked me. I'll tell you, I'll ask you this one because it, will, it touches on a... A subject, a, a man close to your heart, or perhaps not. Charlie Parmentier asks, is uh, is Cockland starting to show Alex Song's long ball syndrome? Is there a danger he's getting too big for his boots? I don't know about that, because I think if you look at the way Cockland has played, uh, and I'm sure one of the video guys, you know the guys who put together these um, these videos... Of, of the players, yeah. the, the compilations, and like within minutes of a game, they're like, here's Coquelin against whatever. Uh, I'm sure that if you were to go back uh, uh, and look at those videos of, of Coquelin, that he has been capable of spraying the ball around left and right, you know, uh, and making decent long passes. I think on a day like yesterday when he didn't play well, people will will point to those misplaced passes as his big weakness. I think he's been all, I think he's much better on the ball than than people say and he he is capable of distributing it pretty well. Um but yeah, maybe I don't know. Look, for the most part, 
in every game he's played for us since he's come back from his loan, he's been really, really, really good. And I think there was always a danger that the minute he had one bad performance, people would say, well, that's the real Coquelin. And maybe it is. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe it is. But, you know, I, I, I doubt it. I just think perhaps there's a tendency to, to, uh, to look immediately for the most negative side of things. And uh, I think he played badly yesterday. No question about that. But I don't think it was, uh, I think that was an anomaly compared to what he's given us in the last uh, six months since he came back. So I think you have to, you have to account for that from time to time. You know, if a striker can have a bad game, if a uh, goalkeeper can have a bad game, a centre half can have a bad game, you know, so too can uh, a defensive midfielder like Coquelin. And I think because of the position that he's in, it looks a bit more, it looks a bit worse than it is, maybe. Yeah. So he shouldn't be worried until he gets the, the bleached hair and the mm. special massive low slung shorts. Yeah, exactly. And he, he turns up, um, turns up wearing a, you know, a suit of armour with, uh, you know, Diamante all over it, that kind of stuff. You know the way Song did. Okay. Yeah, indeed. He's all right. Up to that. All right. Final question, very quickly from me. Uh, this is from Dave Mitchell at Tex Elmore. And he said, my daughter was uh, Urzel's player escort at the Community Shield, where they all bring out when a, a child each, they get a free kid with every appearance in the Community Shield, which is uh, very nice. Uh, she said that he had soft hands, very soft hands. Mm. Uh, who do you think has the gnarliest hands in this Arsenal squad? Great question. It's the Maybe big issue of the day. It is the big issue. Gnarliest hands. I might have to go with Koscielny. There's something gnarly about him in appearance. Mm. I always feel like the bones are protruding from his face in quite a pronounced way. Uh, and that, that might be replicated in his hands. So I'm going to go Koscielny, I think. Koscielny for gnarliest hands. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's not a very gnarly squad, I would say. No, true. They seem they seem sculpted and, and uh, supple. Well manicured. Yes. Yeah. I would say would Alexis. Maybe. I'd say Maybe. so, because, you know, when he gets tired running on his legs, I'd say he just runs on his hands and just like... <laughs> <laughs> like one of those crazy dream monsters that comes after you sometimes, you know, when you're trying to run away and then your feet are stuck and then this like this upside down running on his hands man is after you. You know those dreams? Oh, that sounds absolutely terrifying. Mm. So yeah, I'd say I Alexis. But I will have those dreams now. You planted the seed. <laughs> All right. Um, thank you to everyone for your questions today. Sorry this wasn't the most uh, upbeat, cheery of podcasts, but that's really nothing much to do with us. Um, no, don't blame us. No, please. Uh, we'll have the Arscast for you on Friday. Another Arscast extra for you next Monday after a game on Sunday. Let's hope it's um, the opposite of this one. I'm sure it will be. All right. I'm not. I'm not sure at all. No, at neither all. am I. <laughs> <laughs> Until then. Bye bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.